You are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is EE Times Current. I'm Eric Singer. Today's episode highlights a special report from eetimes.com, but first, today's EE Times Current highlight. For today's episode, we like to spotlight Electroda. Electroda is where even experts can learn new things in the world of electronics. Engineers from the novice to the Nobel winner swap problems, solutions, and discoveries that you won't find anywhere else. And now, on to our special report. I'm Nitin Dahad, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com. In this podcast, we look at some of the trends in the world of embedded systems, both from the hardware, the software, and some of the other aspects of it, like data monetization, as well as you know the trend that everybody seems to be doing right now or looking towards, which is enabling features of a, as a service. And that obviously requires a lot of soft, software-defined capabilities. In this podcast, I'll be talking to Three key executives. One is Lars Riga, who's a CTO of NXP Semiconductors. Then I'll be talking to Fred Rivard, CEO and founder of MicroEdge. And finally, I'll talk to Sumit Chohan, Chief Operating Officer and co-founder of Cerebrum X. In uh, Lars Riga's interview, we'll be talking a lot about things like a world which anticipates and automates. And and what does that mean from the embedded point of view and the, the shifting of the responsibility to devices around you and what that means for things like security and also, you know, the, 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 the hardware, software, design ecosystem. And then I'll talk to Fred Rivard of MicroEdge, and he'll be talking about the containers to exploit hardware. And what does that mean? Basically, as hardware innovation improves like rapidly, how do you reuse software assets? as that hardware innovates. So he'll be talking about how you can you can do that software containerization that ultimately enables software as a service features, which ever, again, everybody seems to be looking at doing. And then once you get to that, what are the considerations for enabling data monetization? And I'll be talking to Sumit Chohan of Cerebrum X, and he'll be talking specifically about data from the car and synthetic sensors. And yeah, what does that mean from an embedded systems development point of view? And in particular, I like the, the crash scenario and sort of the, the individual elements in, within that. So without further ado, let's go to the interviews. I'm talking to Lars Riga, CTO of NXP Semiconductors. Lars, hello. Hi, Nitin. Hey. So Lars, we just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the big embedded trends. I think there's nothing new for this year, but I think it's quite an extension of what you've been saying for a long time around uh, you know, the, the, the sensors, the data, the acting on, on some things and how that's impacting all areas of, of technology these days. Yeah, uh, indeed. So how I how I see the world evolve at the moment is, uh, of course, along the lines that we have um, have pitched already since since uh, 10, 15 years, what we are dreaming of. So moving from a on-demand world, as I would call it, so I press a button on my mobile phone, order a pizza or a taxi, into a world that uh, anticipate and automate. And we see this, of course, gradually happen. We have smart speakers that can steer things. Your smart thermostat detects whether you're at home or not and how to climatize the house without you taking any inter- interaction anymore. Mm. And your world gets increasingly barrier-free, how I would describe it. Um, There's nothing new. This is a gradual trend. But what we are seeing at the moment is that, um, that we are, in my words, at an inflection point of technology use. And that has a certain, certain uh, uh, reasons, uh, underlying reasons. I remember when I when you first did the ultra wideband launch, you talked about 
the seamless flow of a of a human in a smart home. But then this translates to a lot more. With I mean, we talk now about metaverse, digital twins. We talk about ADAS. We talk about you know, all these areas where there can be that interoperability. Isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. As as you said, I mean, we are we are seeing more and more these type of concept of digital twins coming to life. So for manufacturing side, we talk uh, about digital twins already. So digital representations of your analog factory um, to the cloud. Uh, we talk about that already since uh, since a decade at least. Yeah, and I see this happening now also for the smart home. So we have these standards like Meta. So one one common language uh, uh, for for smart home devices that they can exchange data with, talk to each other. Yeah? Like for us human beings, uh, uh, English is the uh, the common language. Uh, for smart home devices, it is Meta. And um, with that, uh, I can suddenly uh, uh, overlook from one control element the entire house, the entire sensing systems, the connectivity, the actuators of my house. And with that, I can build a digital twin, a digital representation in the cloud as well. The same is happening for the car, for the automotive industry. And some of the car makers are already pretty advanced mm-hmm. to have a full digital real-time representation of your rolling robot, your rolling sensor platform in the cloud. Mm. Now, what I can do now is, of course, I can have these three digital twins, industrial, smart home, uh, smart transportation. They can talk to each other in the, in the digital world, help optimize each other, uh, and, uh, uh, of course, learn from each other. The only thing that you cannot do is you cannot show um, where Lars is or where Nitin is in this digital world. So when you mentioned ultra wideband, this is of course exactly the technology where I can show where your right pocket is. Uh, right pocket means where your mobile phone is. And if you are in front of the house, then the digital beacon tells the digital twin of your house, hey, Nitin is in front of the front door. And of course, then open up and then basically you have, uh, you have a signal back from the digital twin of your house to the analog uh, actuators of your front door open up. Yeah. So this is what is happening now. So that's the benefit of having all these three worlds sort of connect. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah indeed. Of course. I mean, that is, uh, for example, look at the infrastructure around you. Of course, your smart transportation can, can align to obstacles, changes in real time in this digital world. You can optimize by AI and machine learning how the, how the infrastructure or road conditions are around you and so on. The big magic is each time that we have to have good technology to do this analog to digital and digital to analog transition. So sensing and actuation back. So sensing meaning I need to have artifact-free sensors that don't make mistakes. Then they want to understand for a car, for example, are there pedestrians in front of me? Do I interpret a traffic sign in the right way? Is it is it 80 miles or 180 miles that are allowed here on this road? So, so m- mistakes in detection have to be avoided. And then, of course, also you have to be sure that your, your actuators don't make, make mistakes. So in other words, that your actuators are functional safe, we would call it in, in industrial or automotive language, mm. and that they cannot be hacked so that in the end, you are able to build trustworthy devices that cannot harm you. And on that hack, security must be more important with all that data floating around in all those worlds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are looking at this world that anticipates and automates, so analysts are forecasting that we have in the range of 70 billion smart connected devices around us at the end of this decade. A world that anticipates and automates implies that you as an, as an end user, as a human being, you are shifting responsibility to the devices around you. 
smart smart thermostate. Yeah, I, I don't need to switch on the heating anymore, but this thermostate recognizes when Lars is coming home in 20 minutes earlier, has all the data, how's the temperature, how's the weather forecast, do I need to climatize or, or heat house. So I hand over this responsibility to that thermostate. And now I need to make sure, of course, that I don't come home and my house is at the 50 degrees C and then my aquarium is boiling. Yeah. And then I have a lot of, a lot of damage. As soon as this happens, I will switch off the smart connected robot again and I do this manually again. So if you want to enable these markets, then of course it is a key ingredient that I can trust these devices and trust my device in nerd language for us techies. I have to make them hacking robust so no one can hack and abuse them. Yeah. And the other thing is, in case they are failing, I have to make sure that they come to a fail-safe state or even repair themselves, which we as nerds call uh, since, since 20 years functional tech. Yeah? So it's nothing really new conceptually, but we see it in the rollout and in the, in the, in the uh, uh, yeah, volume uh, applications. So, I mean, there's all this talk about software and data, but it, all, all this security really comes down to hardware security in the end. So absolutely, I mean, uh, uh, nothing of what I have said is software only. Mm -hmm. It is all about 70 billion smart connected robot. And what are robot? Well, robots are usually a piece of hardware, yeah. customizable hardware that can react to external conditions. Now, how do you let hardware react to external conditions? Well, you program it. Uh, so software is, of course, an, in, a key ingredient. But it's not not software only. So please, not to be misinterpreted. In 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 the fewest uh, uh, applications, we have software only that is doing the job. So mobile phone apps would be these type of of thing. What I'm talking about through robotics, and for that you have to have hardware that senses the environment, mm. connect to the cloud, to other devices, thinks of a smart advice, and then sends this smart advice to the arms and legs of this little robot, and. That, of course, requires hardware and software platforms, because if you have to develop each device from scratch, uh, that's, of course, unaffordable. But uh, yeah, in our old techie language, I would say this is all about embedded systems and robotics, not software. Interesting. Well, Lars, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm talking to Fred Rivard of MicroEdge, founder of MicroEdge, and we're, we're talking about some of the embedded trends in the industry and their smart connected products. Fred, hello. Hello. So can you tell me a little bit about MicroEdge first? Uh, what do you exactly do? So MicroEdge is about uh, helping, I would say, device manufacturers to put software rapidly on their hardware innovation so that they can go on the market roughly two to three times faster, getting more revenue faster. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. So everybody talks about getting to customers to market faster, but how do you exactly do that? Yeah. So in fact, when you design a, a device, quite complex, and there's basically three things to do. One is the hardware. The other one is the application. And then and, and there's some kind of platforming uh, underneath the, the application between the hardware and the application. Think about the smartphone industry where you have apps you have a hardware and you have Android in, in the middle. When you do that and you have the three teams working in parallel, 
where you can compress the time to go to the market and leverage hardware innovation. So you decouple, I would say, hardware innovation from software innovation and you capitalize, you create some software asset, etc. And you can reuse those software assets across different products, etc. So it's really a matter of taking what the kind of process you have in the smartphone industry, in the IT, in the PC industry, and bringing all these capabilities in terms of process and of course, tooling technology. And I, I want also tell what we have in terms of products to do that. And we, so we have all those guys to go on the market very fast. So by taking IT process, smartphone industry process to the embedded world. Right. And so you are actually creating a piece of software container that allows customers to then exploit that hardware innovation, which maybe they don't have skills with. Is that right? Yes, exactly. So I mentioned I took this analogy of the smartphone industry with this Android. So we literally created a tiny Android. We call that MicroEdge V for virtual execution environment, which allow to abstract the hardware in a point where you can have a, a virtual device on your PC. So suddenly, part of the application, not everything, huh, but the upper level of the application can be designed on your PC. You can calibrate how much of memory you need, how much of bandwidth, how much of flash, a kind of image, etc. And you can, of course, validate ahead of time on the PC connectivity, cloud connectivity. So an holistic vision of your system. And thanks to the container you have on the PC and on the device, you can take that code that you have developed on the virtual device and literally copy it, copy paste on the, on the hardware. Once the hardware has been developed, so it allows to develop for different hardware, so, so to capitalize your software asset, et cetera. And, and that feeds into a, a big trend right now, which is, I think, well, you call it software-defined service, so does everybody else, but everybody is trying to deliver some kind of features on their products on a subscription basis, and then that feeds into embedded connected products. So how are you enabling that? Yeah, so you're right. Uh, that's a huge trend. Uh, Subcustom-based uh, business models. How we help our customer to do that? Uh, they all have uh, many different product lines. And thanks to the fact that you have a container, which in fact uh, decouple, I would say, inno software innovation from the hardware innovation, once the product has been sold, it can, if it's a connected device, receive new apps so you can load a new new value across the different products and or the product life also uh, a lifetime of the product. So you add new uh, services after the, the product has been sold, etc. And that's a way to create subscription-based business model with added services uh, across uh, the, the sold device. Yes, so, so sustainability is uh, definitely uh, one aspect. Uh, we have, I would say, Almost 50% of our customers, like uh, Zebra, Landis Gear, uh, Polar, uh, Groupseb, Rovanta, etc., that's uh, in fact wants to reduce somehow this carbon footprint uh, on, on the uh, on, on the planet. How to do that is to 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 do a design to design to uh, redesign to sustainability by somehow be able to reuse your software assets on a much more integrated hardware. So again, we know that the more hardware innovation we come, that's uh, that's a trend, uh, multi-core MCUs, uh, GPUs, etc. And to leverage all this hardware innovation fast, you need to leverage your software assets. So to be able to redesign somehow 
your 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 devices to reduce a bill of material to save money and also uh, uh, some carbon production, etc. Again, that, and that's enabling them to get overcome this challenge of not having that hardware expertise. Is that right? Yes. So hardware expertise will be done by specific teams, and the application level will be done by another team. So you decouple those two teams, which are needed, but Obviously, the team that is growing way faster, way bigger is the application team. And uh, this is this is where we contribute because we allow, I would say, 50 million engineers to contribute instead of only 5 million in the world. Do you work with the silicon vendors? How do you work with them? Obviously, we are very close to silicon vendors because we, we work tightly, we are tightly allowed to leverage the IPs that they have put in their different SOC. We even sometimes create we are part of the design of the next generation. They ask us what kind of acceleration we shall put into the SOC for a specific vertical because we, we know very well the kind of algorithms that could be accelerated to save power. Again, sustainability without jeopardizing the full application level of their customers. So thanks to the container, we tend to take some functions, provide the same APIs, the same services, but have an implementation of that service, which in fact can be turned into hardware to save, to save power, for, as an example. Well, Fred, thank you very much. Thank you and uh, have a good show. I'm talking to Sumit Chohan, a COO of Cerebromex at uh, CES. Sumit, hello. Hi. From an embedded systems point of view, your focus is on using something with data that's collected from uh, specifically from automotive environments. That's great. And just there's so much involved. I mean, people talk about data monetization. They, you do a lot more underneath that to, to, to do work, work with the data. But tell me, from an embedded systems point of view, what are the things to be considered? So first of all, thank you, you know, for talking to me. And, uh, you know, Cerebramex is in the business of monetizing data, any kind of data that comes from a connected vehicle. Now, as we grow increasingly into a world which is the ADAS world, the quantum of data that is going to be collected from the car and that needs to be taken out of the car is going to jump significantly, right? And there are different kinds of data as well, and we'll get into that. But most importantly, I think the decision the OEMs will have to make in terms of how they architect their data solutions for the car is what do you do inside the car in terms of storing and compute? What do you do at the edge, particularly with 5G coming into its own, having a ubiquitous deployment? A lot of the functionality can be pushed to the edge. And then a large part of functionality, which is probably non-critical and can be done offline and least cost, can be pushed onto the cloud, right? Now, so how you architect and make those decisions is very important. I'll give you some insights, which, you know, which help you, you know, kind of cater to that. The mission critical part, right? You know, things like related to ADAS, lane change, um, related to driver safety, and so on and so forth will always be done inside the car because they're very time critical. There is latency involved, so on and so forth. So you want to make those decisions as much as possible inside the car. That will be the advent of what we call synthetic sensors, where a large part of the logic, the algorithms that are needed to make those decisions on the embedded side will be plugged into the car even more than what they are today. So which will lead to a jump in the compute part that is needed inside the car. Then you come to certain decisions which are non-mission critical. Like I'll give you a, a kind of a, a regular example. You have your screen which you're using to play music or for navigation, suddenly you feel that you, you want a different color to it, right? Or a different texture to that screen. 
you don't need to do that inside the car because it is very compute intensive. You can actually do it over the cell phone and it can be pushed over the cloud. The decisions and the configuration can happen on the edge and you can push that back into the car because it's not mission critical. Even if it happens with a delay or a latency, you're fine, right? So that's an example or, and there are many examples which will be pushed to the edge, you know, in terms. And the other examples are V2X, where vehicles are talking to each other in terms of traffic management and so on and so forth. So all those things will move to the edge. Now, the things that will reside in the cloud are things where offline processing can happen, right? Let's say I'm collecting data on a driver for all his trips in the last 30 days. And then I need to create a driver score so that the insurance companies can define what the premium would be for the for the driver. That doesn't require anything which is time critical. It is not real time. So you can do it back in the cloud. So those are the kind of use cases and decisions that, you know, the OEMs, as well as the people who are trying to monetize it like us, will need to work with the OEMs to define as to where the data processing happens. Right. And one example you gave me earlier was about a, a crash scenario. And I think your speciality is in providing the algorithms to companies like insurance companies to to then you know, figure out you know, what are the sort of risk elements. But what are the things that your data is picking up there? Sure. So let me first give you a scenario of how it happens today, right? Yeah. Two cars crash, right? What you get is a police report, which basically tells you what's the damage on the car, right? What was the position of the cars? A few photographs, right? It doesn't really come even close to actually defining what was happening or what led to the crash and who was responsible. The real answer lies in my view and Cerebrum X's view in assimilating the real scenario from three streams, right? You know, the first stream is what was happening inside the cabin of both the cars or one of the cars, whoever is involved in the crash as to whether the driver was fully functional or he or she was distracted in any way. Making a phone call was droopy because falling asleep, um, you know, just not being attentive on the road, talking to a fellow passenger. We can detect all of that because there are ADA systems that are installed inside the car, which manage and track, you know, the driver pupils as well as what they're doing. Even if we don't have that, which is the current scenario, we can also have cabin facing cameras, which come which come from third party. One of our investors is LG. You know, they have a camera solution. So we can get a feed from them, which tells us what's happening in the cabin. The second is, what is the health of the vehicle? Was there anything wrong with the vehicle which led to the crash? Was there a jamming of the brakes? Was there something wrong with the engine itself? Was there a alignment issue with the wheels or the steering wheel got stuck or something like that? All of the data is being collected even today, you know, as part of the connected vehicle data ecosystem, and we can get it from the OEMs. The third is what was actually happening on the road, which is in front of you. Was it pedestrian's fault? Was it an another vehicle's fault? That you can only do with a LiDAR or a front-facing camera, which is focused towards the road. As, I, as you know, with ADAS, all of that will come inbuilt in the car. But even today, many you would have seen many drivers using a front-facing camera because they want to record what's happening on the car. So you take all of that, you run your algorithm in the cloud, which stitches all these three data streams together and come up with the full 360 view of what was happening. The critical thing is the data has to be collected at a much higher frequency when a crash is happening. So we have the ability along working with the OEMs to collect data at frequencies of 100 hertz. So, you know, 100 times a second, basically, whereas normal data is collected once a second, you know, one second intervals. But in a crash scenario, 10 seconds before and 10 seconds after, 
because you can sense it. The OEMs start collecting data, which is at 100 hertz. It's 100 times more frequency. And then the analysis becomes more comprehensive. So we're really heading towards the trend is towards like using more of the data, but need people, companies like yourselves, not, not just yourselves, but companies like yourself to help OEMs figure out how that data can be used. That's correct. I think, I think credit to the OEMs is they've, they've been upfront and they've made an investment into creating the data ecosystem on their side, on the embedded side, to enable data to be collected and taken out of the car into their cloud. The problem that we came up with and you know, how, around which Cerebrum X was formed was how do you create value out of that data? It is not good enough for verticals like insurance or fleet or aftermarket like warranty supports and extended warranties to just give data to them. They actually need insights which are meaningful to that particular vertical. And that's where Cerebrum X comes in and provides those insights on top of the data, which helps the OEMs to get a better margin on the data that, you know, that they're collecting. Well, Samit, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. That brings another episode of EE Times Current to its end. Thank you for joining us. Today's highlight was Electroda, where engineers go for expertise. EE Times Current is produced by EE Times. The segment producer was Lady Maya Kane. Today's episode was engineered by Taylor Marvin from Coop Studios and Lady Maya Kane. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>